John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. When King Solomon dedicated the temple, he asked a question and he said, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? To me, that was a very, a very good question to ask. Would God indeed dwell on the earth? You make a tabernacle, you make a temple, and you know what happened? God did indeed dwell upon the earth in the tabernacle, and God did indeed dwell upon the earth in the temple. But because of the sin of the nation of Israel, the glory of God began to withdraw from off the face of the earth, no longer found in the temple whatsoever because of their sin. But a miraculous thing happened. The day that Jesus Christ was born, uh, there in Bethlehem and placed in that manger, God indeed did dwell upon the earth. He came in the form of His Son. A divinity was housed in a man. God Almighty stepped out of eternity into time in order that we might be redeemed in time and be ready for eternity. And yet as we read the Word of God, the writers of the four Gospels gives us snapshots uh, into the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ while He worked and lived here upon this earth. But we know that no full biography of Jesus Christ can ever be founded. And the reason being, John tells us in John chapter 21, the last book of the Gospel, that he said, I suppose the books of the world would not be able to hold or contain all the things uh, that Jesus Christ did just while He walked upon this earth. With that being said, we know that Matthew wrote uh, to the fellow Jews uh, in mind, and in his writing he said that Jesus Christ of Nazareth uh, fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies concerning him. We know that Mark wrote his gospel uh, to the busy Romans. But yet it was Matthew who wrote to the Jewish people and basically said that Jesus Christ was indeed the king. But yet it was Mark who wrote to uh, the Romans and said, Jesus Christ is a servant, and he was ministering <clears throat> to needy men upon this earth. And Luke comes along, and he writes specifically to the Gentiles. And during that time, he proclaimed Jesus Christ uh, as being the perfect man, the sympathetic uh, son of man. But it was John in his gospel, the beloved of God, that comes along, and he writes his gospel both to the Jew as well as to the Gentile or to the Greek. He says that Jesus Christ indeed is the Son of God, but yet he writes to those people uh, in mind. We know that he wrote to the Gentiles, uh, because and the Jews as well, uh, because John also interpreted many of the Jewish meanings uh, to the Gentile readers so that they understand uh, what it was he was trying to say. His emphasis was to Jews that Jesus not only fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, but Jesus also fulfilled the shadows and the types and the imagery of the Old Testament as well. Jesus, we know, said he, the Bible said of Jesus that he is the Lamb of God. Jesus was the ladder uh, that went up from heaven. Uh, we know that he also was the new temple. Uh, he was also the one who says, I will give the new birth. He was the serpent that was lifted up. And he also said, I am the bread of life that have come down from God in order to feed mankind. So once again we see that when John writes the gospel of the Jew and the Gentile, he explains to the Gentile readers exactly what he's trying to say. 
Now the first three gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, may major on uh, emphasizing, if you will, the events in the life of Jesus Christ. But John emphasizes the meaning of those events. All three gospels talk about Jesus uh, feeding the 5,000 people. But yet it was only John who also talked about the feeding of the 5,000, but he explained to them uh, what that really meant by Jesus saying, I am the bread of life that has come down uh, to be able to feed the people. And miracles happened as they obeyed him. But there's one major theme that runs throughout the Gospel of John, and that is he is uh, the Son of God, but if we, Jew or Gentile alike, will commit our lives unto him, we will have everlasting life. We will have eternal life. And that's the message of the Gospel, that we will have that eternal life. Now again in John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him not, was not anything made that was made. So much of the word as you read today from the Bible lets us know that it comes from the heart and the mind of God. The words of Jesus Christ is indeed the word of God. The word of God is in the Bible. Jesus, that was a written word, but Jesus is indeed the living word that has come down among us. We read in the word of God, he says, he has seen me, has seen the Father. Now, a word is made up of letters, is it not? And Jesus said, I am Alpha and I am Omega. That's the beginning and the ending letters in the Greek alphabet. He is the Word of the living God. And uh, the writer of Hebrews said it this way, uh, that Jesus is God's last word to mankind. He was indeed the divine climax, if you will, the revelation, if you will, to mankind. I am grateful that if Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen Almighty God, one and the same. Now, Jesus is the eternal Word. He existed in the beginning. He didn't exist just because He became the world's human being. He always was. He always was. He is eternal. He is God, and He was with God. And the Bible said of Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. He existed way before Abraham ever thought about being had in this world. We know that Jesus indeed is the eternal word. Secondly, Jesus is the creative word as well. The Bible goes on to say there's a parallel uh, between John 1.1 and Genesis 1.1. Uh, there is a parallel between the new creation uh, and the old creation. God created the word by speaking it. Let me tell you something. If God spoke this world into existence, I can't wait to see what he does, Brother Charlie, when he shouts. Amen. You ever thought about that? If he spoke in this heaven, what's he going to do when he shouts? For the trump of God, he said he's going to shout. Oh, praise the Lord. For he spoke, it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast, it says. And God said, let there be, and there was. God created all things through Jesus Christ, Paul said. And as a result of that, he holds everything together today. Jesus is not a created being. He is God. And with that being said, creation is not a process. Creation is a finished product. Praise God. Now, Jesus is also the incarnate Word. The eternal Word, the incarnate Word. What does it mean? That's why we celebrate Christmas. Divinity, how's the man? God came down and dwelt upon the earth. Solomon is right, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? 
The morning that Jesus Christ was born, God came upon this earth and placed in the manger. He was not a phantom. He was not a spirit when he ministered on the earth. His, his body was not some type of an illusion. It was not a myth. He said, handle me, touch me, see me. They were able to know that he was here. He had, and John and all the disciples had a personal experience with him, and they were convinced that he lived in the reality of a body. It was God manifest in the flesh. And even though John emphasized the deity of Jesus Christ the Lord, he lets us know that the Son of God came in the flesh and was subject to all the limitations of the flesh, but he overcame the flesh. He overcame the devil. He overcame it all. And because of that, we can overcome as well. How grateful I am that we serve a God that knows when we weep. He understands our tears. He understands our depression. He understands our temptation. He understands our, our psyche better than anybody in this world. And he still loves us. You have a hard time loving yourself? Come on. Anybody beside me? You ever have a hard time just liking yourself? You have a hard time loving yourself? And God knows everything about us. And he says, I love you so much. I'm willing to leave the splendor and the glory of heaven and come to this sin-cursed world to die for you. Praise God. In the writing of the gospel, John points out that Jesus was weary. Jesus was thirsty. Jesus groaned within. Jesus tired. Jesus got sleepy. He cried openly for people to see on the cross, we know he got thirsty. On the cross, he felt pain. On the cross, he had emotions. On the cross, he exemplified love. On the cross, he, he, he was able to bleed. And on the cross, he died. That's a man in a body. That was God in the body. And yet, when they buried him, and yet we know that he rose from the grave, and even though he was in a body, it was a glorified body. Yeah. And Thomas, old doubting Thomas said, I'll not believe he's risen from the grave lest I can touch him. And Jesus walks through a wooden door and sits on the wooden bench probably and said, Thomas, handle me, touch me, see if I'm a spirit. And he did and he fell in and said, my Lord and my God. That's the God that we serve. The word was not an abstract philosophy, but a real person who was seen, who could be touched and who could believe. Christianity is Christ. And Christ is God. The revelation of God's glory is an important theme in the gospel. Jesus revealed God's glory in his person. He revealed God's glory in his works. He revealed God's glory in his words. John recorded seven wonderful signs of his glory. Seven miracles, if you will, of God's glory. And the glory of the Old Testament was a fading glory. But the glory of the New Testament is what? It is basically an increasing glory. The law of the Old Testament could reveal sin, but it could not eradicate it. But Jesus comes in the glory of the Father, and he don't reveal sin. He eradicates it, gets rid of it. The Old Testament got rid of the spider web. Jesus came and killed the spider. Praise God. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth, and that fullness is available to all who put their trust in him. The Bible says this way in John 1:16, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. But as for many that received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. When our kids were growing up and ready to leave home, I looked at them both and I says, you know what? 
We were not the best of parents. We were, we were not perfect parents. We were good enough. And you will not be able to stand and point your long bony fingers in our face justifiably and say that we didn't do right by you. You can say what you want to, but not justifiably. We have given you the power, the ability to become whatever it is you're going to become. And by the same token, what are we as Christians? There's some that are lukewarm. There's some that are on fire for God. There's some that are Christians in name only. But Jesus said, I, the many I receive, I give them the power to become. And we'll never be able to stand before God and say, you let me down. You didn't give me what I needed. No, he has given us everything we need to become everything he wants us to be. It's what do we do with that? And by the same token, he has given us the power to become. I remember an old uh, preacher out in California married two hippies. He couldn't tell them apart, the boy or the girl. He looked at him and said, well, whatever you are, take whatever this is to become whatever you're going to be. God, God, God doesn't do us that way. He sees potential in us. He knew where we were at in our sin, and he saved us, he redeemed us. He invested heaven's best in us that we might be the very best on this earth, that we might be the very best for heaven. I'm grateful that many received him to them, gave us the power. We're becoming all the time. We've never arrived in Christianity. We are becoming, becoming more and more like him, transforming glory to glory over and over again. Now let's jump to the text this evening. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. The disciples were stoked. They had handled Jesus. They had seen the glory of God manifest through Jesus. They had seen miracles transpire. They had seen the dead raised, the demons cast out, the lepers uh, were cleansed. Blind eyes were opened, deaf ears were unstopped, the lame would walk, you name it. He, did. he taught with a man having authority. He preached like no one else. He talked like no one else. And man, they were riding that wave. And they saw Jesus as a man closing his ministry, going into Jerusalem, that triumphal entry, and they were throwing palm branches, Hosanna, worshiping him as the Messiah. They were on cloud nine, riding that way, but then all of a sudden, he talks about going away, and it hits them. Oh, my Lord, he's leaving us. What are we going to do? Our world is going to be upside down. He's going away. We're going to be left here alone. Their world was in tipsy-turvy during that very time. In a short time, the disciples were going to be upside down. When the day came, all they could do was hold on to the promises of God, and he left. Let me tell you something, church. There comes a time in each of our lives when we have to believe what we cannot prove, and we have to accept what we cannot understand. Can I say that again? There comes a times in each of our lives when we have to believe what we cannot prove and accept what we cannot understand. That to me is faith. Faith. Forsaking all, I take him. Faith. Faith. Faith is not always believing God in spite of the evidence. Faith is often obeying God in spite of the consequence. And we find here that Jesus told them, I am going to go away. He said, believe in, in God, then also believe in me. Yeah. You may not understand what I'm doing now, 
but later you will. Jesus was soon to die on the cross. After that, there would be the burial. There would be the resurrection. He would ascend back to the Father in heaven. But the good news continues on even after his ascension into heaven. The glory of the Christmas story never fades away. The message of Christmas never fades away. Just as the first Christmas, he said, I come to this world to talk about sin and get rid of it. There's another Christmas day coming to me, and that's when he's coming back again. And this time he's not coming back to get rid of sin. Thank God he's coming back to destroy the devil uh, once and for all. We've just talked about how God came to the earth in human flesh. But the greatest Christmas is still the future. And he said, I will come again. When Jesus came the first time, it was to settle the sin question. I know we've heard it ever since we've been Christians. I know we've heard it that Jesus shed his blood that all might be saved. I know you can talk about this in your sleep. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to give life and give it more abundantly. Jesus came to reconcile sinful man back to holy God. Jesus' blood was shed that uh, it might satisfy the holy righteous demands of a holy God. Jesus shed his blood that we might once again be friends with God, be reconciled to God. He came that our, our works will not atone for sin. Our money that we give will not atone for sin. Our great Great, great education that we may have will not atone for sin. Joining a church will not atone for sin. Being kind to our neighbors will not atone for sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into the hour. Pilate therefore said to him, art thou a king? And Jesus answered, thou say, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. The same thing is, the, th the thing that's sad is that people did not give any credence to his first coming. Think about this for a moment. At his first coming, only a few people even seemed to be minutely interested in the fact that Jesus came to save the world. Outside of Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the magi, and of the prophetess, prophets, and also Simeon, who else came to see Jesus Christ? Now, I'm sure there might have been others, but the Bible record is fairly clear on this for us to see. The world in general had no time for this baby, no room for him to be born in. No allegiance could be given him, no proper care could be given him except for the love of a mother. And nobody seemed to be interested in Jesus at all. Even the religious people who knew the scriptures concerning Jesus could point other people to him, but they themselves did not go to him. They knew the word to point others to know where he was at, but they had no interest in him. They had no room in their religion. They had no room under their cloak and clothes. They had no room in their piety. They had no room in everything they did. We're religious people. We're the big cheese here in the, produce, or in the, in the dairy stand. Nobody had time for him. No concern whatsoever for God's gift to the world, Jesus Christ. Even when he grew into a man and went into public ministry, most of the people rejected him. The Bible said he came to his own, and the own opened up the No, he came to his own, and his own received him not. 
Some of the people followed Jesus early on for the bread that he gave, for the miracles he performed. They didn't want Jesus. They used Jesus. They didn't want to follow him and take up a cross. No, they wanted the bread he could give, the miracles that he would perform. They wanted to be around him and say, look, man, this is my guy. You know, we, we're, we're, we're buddies, you know. Look at me. I'm somebody because I'm with somebody. And yet well, the Bible tells me on one occasion that Jesus went into Jerusalem and the Passover, many believed in his name and they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Now he comes to seek and say that which is law. Here comes some people after him. He said, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with you. Why? They weren't interested in Jesus. They were interested in what Jesus could do for them. They weren't interested in the blood he's going to shed. They were interested in the bread that he gave. And there are many people today that still serve God with the same evil motives. It's what I can get out of it. It's what he can do for me. And that's why many times when we get a bad day, spiritually speaking, we want nothing to do with Jesus because he wasn't good to me today. The bread didn't come down from heaven today. The miracle wasn't there today. Friend, we don't follow him for what we get out of it. We follow him because of who he is. Giving ourselves to him lock, stock, and barrel. Even many of the followers of Jesus seemed to forsake him when he talked about a cross. In John 6, 66, from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Even his hometown, they rejected him. Think his hometown. He came to his hometown, and he said, we do but a few miracles. Is this not the son of the carpenter, Joseph? Is this not the one who was raised in Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? They rejected him. He could only do a few miracles there because of their unbelief. When Jesus entered into the region of the Gadarenes, he was met by man, two men possessed by devils. And Jesus goes up and casts the devils out of those two men. You would think the city would be happy. You'd think they'd be static for, uh, static for what, what Christ did. Saved a soul. A torment man was now free, two men. And even the demons were cast in the pig. They ran over the hill, steep hillside and, and drowned. They committed suicide. First mention we have a devil hand in the Word of God. You would think they'd be happy. But no, you know what they said? We pray you depart from our coast. Read it there in the Bible. We pray you depart from our coast. We want nothing to do with you, Jesus Christ. Think about that. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. These are only a few biblical illustrations of where Jesus came the first time. And people said, I want nothing whatsoever to do with you. Jesus, you cramp my lifestyle. I want your blessings. I want your miracles. I want your bread. I want your prestige. But I don't want you. I want your gifts. But God, I don't want the giver of that gift. That's what happened to Abraham. Waiting all those many, many years for his son to be born. And God told Abraham to take his son, his only son. He didn't recognize Ishmael. Take him to Mount Moriah, and there you will sacrifice him. Now, God, we know God did not believe in human sacrifice. He whoops him up and goes to that mountain and prepares the altar. And he says, Isaac said, Father, where's the sacrifice? God will provide. And he laid his son upon the altar. And he must have really trusted his dad because he wasn't squirming to get off of there. 
And as he takes his knife ready to kill him, God said, well, stop, 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 stop. I see that you've not withheld your only son from me. And note the ram in the thickets of sacrifice. God did not want Isaac. God wanted Abraham's heart. God was after Abraham's heart, not after the flesh of his son Isaac. And that's what God wants. He wants our heart. No wonder the Old Testament said, pierce my ear, Lord, and make me a love slave. The only way we'll be free is by becoming a love slave to Jesus Christ. But yet too many at his first coming wanted nothing to do with him whatsoever. Religious leaders ignored him. The Bible said, and when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded them where Christ should be born. And they said, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it's written by the prophet, Then thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, art of the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. Again, they could point other people to Christ, but they themselves wanted nothing to do with him. Seemingly, Jesus always had more trouble with religious people than he did with the average run-of-the-mill sinners. You ever notice that? He always seemed to have more trouble with religious people than just blatant sinners along the way. I remind you that rejection is hurtful, especially when you attempt to love somebody and they reject it. That's some of the hardest hurt in the world is to give and give and you attempt to do something for someone and they rejected. And Jesus came to give, and they rejected. Jesus is still giving, and the world's rejecting. A majority of people accepted him, and only a, major, a minority, let me say, a minority of people accepted him, and only a minority of people will ever be saved. God has always been in the remnant business. Any ladies ever sowed? Know what a remnant is? Small amount. When Jesus was born, only a small amount around the cradle. When Jesus was in the garden praying, only a small amount would pray with him. On the cross, only a few people. Around the empty tomb, only a few people. In the upper room, waiting on the command from the empty tomb to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in comparison to the number of people in the world, only a few people were ready. Only a few people. His own people, members of his own family, religious leaders rebuked him, rejected him, turned on him, but he continued to love in spite of it all. That's what the world looked like at his first coming. When Christ comes the second time, it'll be much like the first time. First of all, for those who may know about it, for those who have heard about it, and those that won't accept it yet, let me remind you, it's not going to change his mind one whatsoever. He's still coming back. Whether CNN likes it, or Fox likes it, or President likes it, or Presidents don't like it, he's still coming back. It's not according to our time frame. It's according to him. There was only, I tell you that my friend, uh, Jesus is coming. The same Bible that prophesied his first coming is the same Bible that prophesied his second coming. And there's more passages about the second coming than there was about the first coming. So if the first coming been fulfilled, high glory to God, the second coming is going to happen too. Amen. Amen. The question is, when will he come? Don't know. Jesus gave the illustration like this. I'm coming soon, not now, but be ready. I'm coming soon, not now, but be ready. We don't know when that is. Mom's here tonight with my sister, and I remember growing up, we had to clean the house. Well, I, was, I had to clean the house every day. Had shaked rugs. Am I right, Mama? Had shaked rugs every day. Had dust every day. Had to clean the toilet every day. And if I didn't do it right, I had to go back and do it over. Well, one day, Mom and Dad took off somewhere, and I thought I had all kinds of time to get the house clean. It better be clean the time I get back. I looked at the picture window, and here they come. I said, uh-oh, I ain't even started. Thank God there's a hill to go up. 
took him about two minutes to get up there maybe and get out of the car. And you talking about cleaning the house in two minutes, it wasn't done and they knew it. So I got something done to me probably. But you know what it's like to know that you think you got a lot of time on your hands and you don't? Many of the world think in the Christians we have a lot of time on our hands and we don't. I don't know when he's coming, but I do have the promise that he is. Jesus promised and he doesn't lie. The Apostle Paul said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. In Revelation 22, he said, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now again, referring to our text in John 14, we see that we can trust the words of Jesus Christ. He was honest with us. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'll come again. Notice he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to tell you something, church. No one can justifiably say that Jesus ever tricked us into following him. He never tricked us. He never duped us into following him. He never made stupid promises. He never made false pretenses in order to try to get will us in like they do on some of these infant commercials at 2 o'clock in the morning and to buy some of these bamboo knives or wherever they are. Jesus told us bluntly that we may have to say farewell to comfort. He told us bluntly that we might have to pick up a cross and follow after him. He told us bluntly that we expect persecution in this world. He told us bluntly, you may die for my, ca my cause. He told us bluntly, members of your own family may turn against you. He told us bluntly, you may be fed to lines. You may be locked up into prison. You're going to be persecuted all the way along the line. And he also said you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be falsely accused. But he said it's going to be worth it all in the final analysis because I've gone away to prepare a place for you. And if that was not the truth, he said, I would have told you. Praise God. He was not a leader that tried to bribe us on promises of an easy way. He tries to challenge us, brothers and sisters, into greatness. There's coming a day, a payday, for everyone that's been faithful to Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a place for you. Amen. There are people in this world that don't feel like they have a place at home. I see street people that don't have a place to live. I see veterans don't have a place to live. I see children that's been kicked out of their homes. They have no place. But God Almighty sees that we have not just a place but a prepared place for a prepared people that where he is, there we will be forever and ever and ever. One of the greatest thoughts of the New Testament is that Jesus has gone off in front of us that we may follow him. Praise God. Are you grateful he dwelt among us? The Bible says in Hebrews that, or not in Philippians rather, talking about the kenosis theory of Christ when, when he emptied himself and he fashioned his body like our own. That's an interesting Greek word, fashion. It's not in the notes, hope, it just comes to mind. That Greek word for fashion. It's almost like a king 
who's looking out the palace windows and see all of his people down there and said, I cannot go out and walk among them. And the reason I do, they would flog me. They would get down and do this to me, blah, blah. I couldn't be myself among them, but yet I want to be where my people is. So he goes in and he fashions himself like them. He takes off his royal appeal, apparel. He puts on commoner clothes, if you will, the clothes of a commoner. He sneaks out the back door of the castle and just mingles around the people. And now he's among the people as their king, but they do not recognize him because he's fashioned himself like one of them. That's what God has done. He has taken on like us without partaking of our sins to be like one of us. And yet he knows what it's like to want to be with him and to be in that prepared place he's going to be with for us as well. He came the first time as a baby wrapped in Bethlehem's manger. He entered into public ministry. He defeated everything thrown at him. Sin could not defeat him. He defeated it. Demons could not destroy him. He cast them away. People of all, all walks of life could not outwit him. They could not stop him. Hell could not stop him. The cross could not defeat him. And the grave could not hold him. He came out of that tomb and he sent the Holy Spirit back upon the followers in the upper room. He ascended back into heaven. Glory to God. And the promise is, I will come again for you. I don't know when the hour is coming, but it would be great to be soon. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. He will reward the righteous, and behold, I will come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. This time he's not coming back as the lamb that was slain. He's coming back as the line of the tribe of Judah that hath prevailed. He will come back to take the church home. Seven years after the church is taken out of here, at the close of that seven years, he will come back to this earth literally and begin the millennial reign of Christ. Praise the Lord. The work of salvation will then be complete. The curse will be lifted. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more devil. There'll be no more tempter. There'll be no more thorns. There'll be no more death or dying or crying. Can you imagine a world like that? Preacher, you really believe that? Is that just not a little far-fetched today to believe that? It may be in the minds of many. But I say, Lord, I believe your word. Amen. Again, we're called upon many times to believe what we cannot understand and to accept what we cannot prove. That's who our God really is. Anticipation builds as we wait for Christmas on Sunday morning. Well, the older you get, it don't not much anticipation. Are you all excited about Christmas Sunday morning or Saturday morning? Can you just wait, get up, and open up presents? <laughs> Ask a child that. Can I open up one now? Our grandkids last night. Can I open up this one, just one? I remember when I was a kid, all the anticipation. I remember going as a kid. Have we all not done this? We've gone to a present. We'll stick our finger and just kind of rip it open just a little bit, poke down in there and try to put it back. And the next day you come a little bit wider. Next thing you know, it'll rip about that long. And anybody do that besides me? <laughs> Go home and try it tonight. It's, it's great. There's not, any, there's not a lot of anticipation for us as adults. The kids are. And here's what scares me. Sometimes as Christians, we don't have anticipation for the second coming of the Lord. But I pray, God, give me a heart of a child. 
to give me the anticipation and the anticipation and the excitement and the anticipation and the excitement for your second coming, the greatest Christmas in all the world, Christ coming back. I want that kind of anticipation, don't you? But Lord, don't you know there's so many things in this world that just robs us of that anticipation? We've got bills to pay. We've got gas to put in our tank. We've got food to put on our table. There's mortgages to pay. There's hell on the job. There's frustration in the family. The world's in tipsy-turvy. You don't know if you're going to have another nuclear war any moment with, with Russia or, or China. You know what's going to go on? Our goods are setting out in the Pacific Ocean somewhere. There's a lot of stuff to trouble us. But friend, don't let trouble trouble you until trouble troubles you. Come on. Keep the eye upon the eastern sky. Let's have as much anticipation and excitement about the Lord coming back as our kids and grandkids will have Saturday morning at Christmas under that tree. Anticipation builds as we wait for the day to celebrate His first coming. And much more exciting is to think about the day and he comes a second time. Where I am, there you will be also. Where I am. Think about that I am. Where I am. The same I am that met Moses at the bush. The same Jesus that I am the way, the truth, and the light. The same Jesus that I am the door. I'm the great shepherd. Where I am Praise God. Where's he at? He's in heaven tonight. What a wonderful thought and what a wonderful promise. Heaven, a place where we'll always be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.